You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. I'm going to turn on my mic here. It's great to uh, be together this morning and uh, great to sing together. I hope that ministers to your heart like it does to mine. It's a little dark in here. Well, uh, last night was my favorite night of the year, and I'm not talking about Halloween, I'm talking about getting an extra hour of sleep. Don't you love that? I wish you could just do that anytime you wanted, just go, I need an extra hour, and just get an extra hour, it's, it's awesome. And then I curse it in the spring when I have to give it back. We are uh, starting a new series today called Generous, and uh, I appreciate Dave's Dave's thoughts for communion. It really kind of set us up perfectly to start talking about this. This is what we're going to be talking about in November. The idea of generosity. God has been so generous with us, hasn't he? And uh, really the natural response when you understand what God has done for us is to be generous in return. And science is is just now discovering this, this fact that the most... Generous people in the world are the happiest people in the world. There's a correlation there. They're discovering that. And they're realizing that it's not that people are happy, therefore they're generous. It's that generosity makes you happy. And uh, we've all kind of experienced that in one way or another. But it's it's interesting that science is finally sort of figuring it out. And it was written in the Bible 3,000 years ago. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so we're going to be talking about how to get refreshed, how to be uh, thrive spiritually, how to be all that God wants you to be spiritually. I know that's what everybody here wants to be and wants to, to, to fulfill in their life. And how do we get there? How do we become generous? Well, we're going to start with today's uh, lesson is ungenerous. Ungenerous. You know, sometimes it helps to start with the opposite. Sometimes you understand something by understanding what it's not. Some of you are old enough to remember in the 70s, the ad campaign uh, for 7-Up, the Uncola. Remember that guy? Uh, The Caribbean farmer, the Uncola. Well, we're going to talk about ungenerous. Look it up. It is a word. I looked it up. It is an actual word. The definition is to not be generous. (laughs) But uh, but we're going to look at three stories today. And uh, these are three stories in the Bible of guys who were ungenerous. And so we'll, we'll draw some conclusions. We'll look at three, three uh, chapters of the Bible, three stories, and then a few conclusions for us. There's a, a brief video I'm going to show you, and then a song that's going to kind of tie it all together. So the first story is in Daniel 5. If you've got your Bible there, turn to Daniel 5. If you don't have a Bible, please look on with somebody there, because these are not going to be on the screen. Uh, you can also pull it up on your phone if you just... Google Daniel 5 on a smartphone, you'll get it. But let's all turn there. And I'm going to say a word of prayer as we're all turning. God, thank you for the opportunity to get to open your word. Thank you for the amazing thing that we can each have our own copy of the Bible. We can look it up on our phone, these eternal scriptures. It's incredible. And uh, Father, I pray that we could utilize your word more often. I pray that uh, your word would fill our lives, fill our homes, fill our hearts. I pray right now as we open your scriptures that you would really speak to each one of us by your Holy Spirit as we look into your scriptures and help all of us to get just what you want us to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Daniel chapter 5. So just to give you a little context, 
God's people, we probably all know the story of how they were in slavery in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land. Uh, they were there, there was many kings, many generations, but they kept falling into idolatry. They kept turning away from God. And God told them, from Moses told them right at the very beginning, it's your choice. You can either follow God and, and God will bless you and bless this nation, or you can choose to follow the, these other nations, the ways of these other nations, follow idolatry, and then what will happen is God will not be with you anymore. God will, in fact, curse you, and uh, these other nations will swallow you up. So that's what happened. The Assyrians, the, the, the kingdom of God the, 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 on earth, the, the, the holy uh, chosen royal nation of Israel was split in two, and the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians and lost to the nations. A couple hundred years later, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into exile in Babylon. And so this is about 60 years or so after they've been taken there into exile in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was this powerful king of Babylon. And this is his, uh, his successor, Belshazzar, uh, that is uh, speaking, or that this story is about. Uh, just to give you a little, there's a little bit of historical background about Belshazzar. A lot, for a long time, historians said, oh, he didn't exist. The Bible is wrong here because the Babylonian record has this other guy, Nabonius, as the last emperor of Babylon. But then, come to find out, as always happens, they found this ziggurat in, in Ur that showed there was a guy named Belshazzar, and he was on the throne. He just wasn't the official leader because Nabonius kind of went crazy, and he was into mysticism and all this kind of weird stuff. And so Belshazzar, who uh, his mother married Nebuchadnezzar's son. Uh, his, sorry, his mother was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, his, his father marry, married uh, her. So that's who Belshazzar was. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what we're reading about here. So King Belshazzar, verse 1, gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. So it's a big party. Picture a thousand nobles, the richest people in Babylon, the most powerful emperor, empire in the world. A thousand of the top, top, are having a party. So, you know, if you, you know, you see those parties that the stars get together after the, after the Oscars or whatever, you know, the most famous and powerful people. This is kind of like that kind of situation, all right? The most powerful, wealthy people in the world are all together. Verse 2, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines may drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. John Oakes says that this, this wall, this specific wall has been discovered. Uh, this plaster of this it's, it, it was in this particular plaster. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Have you ever been that scared before? Your knees are literally knocking. <laughs> Verse 7, the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He says third highest ruler because he's not number one. Does that make sense? He's number two. So again, the Bible always lines up to history if you just give it enough time. Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. 
The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence. So he's talking about D Daniel. And, and the, the queen knew Daniel. Daniel's an older man at this point. He came into Babylon as a young, young man, probably in his teens. And he's grown up. So the queen knew about Daniel, knew all the stories. And so she says, ask Daniel. He's going to tell you what's up. So verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you, and you have insight, intelligence, outstanding wisdom. So he wants them to, to, do, to interpret it. He says, I'm going to give you all this stuff, the clothing purple, gold chain, you'll be the third highest ruler. I love verse 17. Look at verse 17. This is awesome. Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And then he describes who Nebuchadnezzar was and how Nebuchadnezzar went through ups and downs, but he ultimately humbled himself and praised God. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've brought the goblets from his temple to you and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. And basically the the, the, the inscription is saying that you, you will be judged. Your kingdom has been found wanting. You will be judged. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at age of 62. So and the entire empire was taken over this night. The, the Medo-Persian empire took over the Babylonian empire. Now, we read this story and we go, I, I can't really relate to that. I'm not that wealthy. Uh, you know, I, I have never had a party for a thousand people uh, that, that are rich and powerful. But you know what? I bet we can all relate to taking what is God's and using it for our own pleasure. I bet we can all relate to failing to praise God for the, the God who holds our life in his hands. Just like I said here, you, you've not honored God. who He has the future in his hands. He knows what is, is, is happening. He, he's got the big picture, and yet you haven't honored him. I, I know I have been guilty of that. You know, think about our time, our money, our intellect, our sexuality. You know, these things God has given us, these blessings, and we take them and we use them for ourselves or for our own pleasure rather than for his glory. Even our own families, you know, we can, we can fail to, to honor God in our homes. Here, they're, they're praising these other gods. Oh, I praise the God of wood, the God of stone, the God of this, the God of that. You know, that's probably never happened in your household. But do you glorify these you know, these athletes or these musicians or these, you know, the idols that the world worships nowadays more than God and his kingdom and his power and his plan. You know, we can all relate to this a little bit. We're going to look at another story uh, in Luke chapter 12. Turn over to Luke with me and then we'll kind of draw some parallels. Luke 12, please turn there. I don't hear much turning. I guess everybody's digital nowadays. Uh, Luke 12. So this is a context that God, Jesus is telling many stories about uh, the kingdom of God and what it's like. And in, in this situation, he's, he's teaching and, and uh, somebody comes 
with a question. They, they want to know, you know, they want Jesus to get involved with a situation that they're going through in their family. In verse, uh, chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And so he's telling them to kind of, the context is he's saying, don't be like the religious leaders that are hypocrites. And he goes on and kind of describes them and, and explains what they're, they're like. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this is just interesting to me. You know, the whole context, Jesus is teaching about how to not be uh, a hypocrite, how to not be all about yourself. This guy gets a chance to talk to Jesus and he wants Jesus to get involved in a dispute in his, in his home, you know, between him and his brother. And that is just so typical of us, right? Oh, I get a chance. I'm going to get, get, I want to get what I want. And, and uh, you know, th this is a, a house, a, a situation we even see today where a, a lot of times after a death in the family, there's fighting in the family. Uh, or when there's a loss, or when the mother goes into the nursing home, or, you know, those types of situations, usually there, there's conflict. There's conflict about money. There's conflict about, it's just like this, right? Today. Uh, th I know, I know some, several in our congregation, situations like this, right? Store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Let me say this back up for a second. The families I know of, you know, in our, in our, that, that are going through this, they're doing a great job. I'm not getting into the fray. I didn't mean that our, our people are fighting over money. I meant that their family is, you know what I'm saying? They're dealing with this kind of stuff. And, uh, and Jesus is trying to say, there's a bigger picture than what you have. And he describes this man that's, that's kind of similar to Belshazzar in, in that he thought he had total control. Belshazzar thought he had total control. You know, he, he's the ruler of the most powerful empire on earth. He's got a thousand of the most powerful, wealthy people right there hanging out, partying. I've got the whole world right here in my hands. That's what this rich guy thought. And yet he didn't. And, uh, you know, what he was focused on, you know, Belshazzar was focused on pleasure. This guy was focused on uh, security. So it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it's what you do with your, your security. It's where your focus is. These are the three guys we're looking at here, the, the king, the wealthy farmer. It's, it's not, money is not bad. It's, it's what is your perspective on money, Right. Uh, wealth is not bad. Being financially secure is not bad. Retirement is not bad. I mean, this guy is after what everyone is after, right? I want to have enough so I don't have to worry. And then I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. I can just party. I can just have a great time. I'm not worried because I have enough stored up. Isn't that what every person in your office is trying to do? I mean, everybody is after the, after the, the retirement or after, I mean, after the week, they're all after the weekend, metaphorically, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, I remember even at my office, I worked in an office environment at Cubicleville for six years, and every conversation, the, the small talk was always about the weekend, right? It's always, Monday, it's like, oh, how was your weekend? Here's how my weekend was. Oh, it's new week, work day, you know. Wednesday, halfway to the week, weekend, Thursday, two more days, <laughs> Friday, one more day to the weekend. You know, that's the only thing people talk about, right? 
And so it's all about when do I get to relax? When do I get to chill? When do I get to stop working and just take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry? There's nothing wrong with having a great time. There's nothing wrong with being financially secure. But the issue is this guy was not rich towards God. And his, his stuff was what it was all about. Like Jesus said, man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's more to life than what you have. All right, let's look at one more story. Luke chapter 16. The rich man. These are ungenerous guys. Another story Jesus told. Uh, let me just back up a little bit and, and say, you know, give you context here. In Luke 12, uh, what follows that story about the rich man is what Jesus, uh, a real famous passage where Jesus says, look at the birds, they're not worried. Look at the flowers. God's taking care of them. Stop being so anxious and worried and running after these things that the world is running after. So Jesus' objective in these stories, it's not to make you feel bad. It's not to make you feel like, oh, I'm just such a loser because I'm so consumed with wealth. It's, it's to free you up. Jesus wants you to, to not be so stressed and anxious. Did you know there was a recent poll that said one in four Americans lose sleep over their finances? One in four Americans. This has been in the news lately. That's the world we're in. That one in four people at your job are not even able to sleep because of so much stress about money. Don't you want to be freed up from that kind of stress and that kind of anxiety? That's what Jesus is trying to do for us. Uh, okay, uh, Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Boy, what a picture. This man in total luxury, as much as he wants to eat, everything he could ever want, and this other guy, if I could just have that scrap that fell from his table. And, he, and he's got sores on him, and he's, the dogs come and lick it. I mean, that's just a horrible view. You know, these dogs that live in the street, this, this poor man. Uh, verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to the Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, please send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, Even if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What a, what a preamble to the, the resurrection. You know, if somebody doesn't want to listen to God, they're not going to listen even if somebody, if God comes as a person and raises from the dead. Uh, you know, suddenly the rich man, you know, everything has been turned on its head. Uh, death is the great equalizer. And the rich man wants to evangelize now. When it's too late, 
He says, I, I, want my, I want my friends, I want my family, I want them not to come here. You know, the hero in this story is the poor guy. It's the value system of the world turned on its head. And the rich man, in this case, you know, I think the, the king, as I mentioned, I think his issue was pleasure. The wealthy par farmer, his issue was security. The rich man was just apathy. He just didn't care. He just, it says this guy was at his gate. So he saw him over and over and over again, and yet he totally desensitized to him. He had the ability to certainly do something for Lazarus, but he did nothing. Again, I think that's something we can all relate to. And that we've all seen things that we should make a difference in. We should do something about, and yet we failed to act. We failed to do anything about the hardship, the, the hurting uh, people that are around us in the world. Uh, common to all these guys, they all think they have total control. They're all wealthy. They've all got what they are looking for. They've all got, uh, they all think they have more time than they do. They all think they can control outcomes of whatever the situation is. You know, the, the, the first guy, Belshazzar, is like, okay, I've got the ability, I've got this whole kingdom. So if somebody can tell me what this means, I'm going to give them this, I'm going to give them that, I'm going to give them the other. I have the power, I have control, right? I love Daniel, he's like, give your gifts to somebody else. Because Daniel knew who really had control, right? Uh, the, the rich farmer, he said, okay, I've got so much stored up. I, I'm, I'm in good shape. I can control the situation. I, I've got plenty of good years. I've got plenty of grain stored up. I am in good shape. And yet he didn't have control. He, didn't, he couldn't control the outcome. The rich man had everything he wanted, and yet he couldn't control the outcome in, in, of what happened in his eternal destiny when he passed away. I want to show you a, a, a TED Talk that um, is about wealth and what the effect that wealth has on us as individuals and what this study did was it, it, it did a lot of different things and we're going to look at the part that talks about this monopoly game that was played and they played monopoly and they they uh, rolled a, di a dice or rolled a coin to see you, if two people are coming into a situation to play monopoly one is going to be the poor person one is going to be the rich person and the rich person had unfair advantages and then they kind of see what happens. He'll set it up and explain it. And so we'll watch this and we'll talk some more. I want you to, for a moment, think about playing a game of Monopoly. Except in this game, that combination of skill, talent, and luck that help earn you success in games as in life has been rendered irrelevant because this game's been rigged and you've got the upper hand. You've got more money, more opportunities to move around the board, and more access to resources. And as you think about that experience, I want you to ask yourself, how might that experience of being a privileged player in a rigged game change the way that you think about yourself and regard that other player? So we ran a study on the UC Berkeley campus to look at exactly that question. We brought in more than 100 pairs of strangers into the lab, and with the flip of a coin, randomly assigned one of the two to be a rich player in a rigged game. They got two times as much money. When they passed go, they collected twice the salary. And they got to roll both dice instead of one, so they got to move around the board a lot more. <laughs> and over the course of 15 minutes, we watched through hidden cameras what happened. And what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw. You're gonna to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because again, these were hidden cameras. So we've provided subtitles. 
many 500s did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave me so much. Okay, so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up. One person clearly has a lot more money than the other person, and yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. <laughs> we were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power and celebration among the rich players. All right, we had a bowl of pretzels positioned off to the side. It's on the bottom right corner there. That, that allowed us to watch participants' consumatory behavior. So we're just tracking how many pretzels participants eat. Are those pretzels a trick? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so no surprises. People are on to us. They wonder what that bowl of pretzels is doing there in the first place. One even asks, like you just saw, is that bowl of pretzels there as a trick? And yet, Despite that, the power of the situation seems to inevitably dominate, and those rich players start to eat more pretzels. And as the game went on, one of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder toward the other person. Less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players, and more and more demonstrative of their material success. More likely to showcase how well they're doing. talked about why they'd inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly. <laughs> they talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game. And they became far less attuned to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly gotten them into that privileged position in the first place. And that's a really, really incredible insight into how the mind makes sense of advantage. So th this is really, really interesting. You know, the, the, the whole talk is a lot longer, but, but um, it just has so much to do with us as American Christians, because by a flip of the coin, we all are rich. I mean, just being born in this nation, we are so privileged. You know, if you're visiting with us, our church is a part of a family of churches all around the world. Most of our churches are outside the U.S. And so there's many thousands of disciples who are trying to live the Christian life just like we are. And yet we get to live in this country with access to health care, with, with uh, you know, none of us probably are going to actually go hungry. None of us are going to have to worry about if, if we get a lot of rain this December, we're going to be cold because it's going to be raining on our heads. 
None of us are in that situation, and yet so much of the rest of the world is in that situation. We are so privileged, and so along with that privilege, along with wealth, can come some of these problems he's talking about. We can tend towards being ungenerous. And, uh, you know, none of us want to identify with the rich guys in these stories, right? We all want to go, no, no, that's them. That's the people farther up the hill than I am, right? Uh, no matter where you are, you're like, you always see somebody up beyond you, right? And so you always see, we always see ourselves as, oh, well, I'm not the privileged one. And yet, if you ask yourself honestly what you want and what you're after, don't we want more? I mean, it's rare that any of us are like, I, I have plenty, I'm just fine, I don't want anything else. So often our hearts are like, well, but if I just had this, if I just had that, if I just had a little more, and it's always a little more, but then if you were there, then it'd be a little more, and then a little more, right? And so Jesus is trying to free us from that kind of thinking and that kind of mentality. He goes on uh, in this to describe other tests that they did. They, they brought people in that had different income levels. And uh, they, t you know, talked to hun hundreds of people, thousands of people. And uh, what they found is that people who were in the salary range, 15000 25000 a year, most would consider that lower income, were 44 time, gave 44% more money to poor, poor people than people who were 150000 200000 this, this is just, this is not a biblical thing. This is a scientific study this guy was doing. Another thing that they did is they, they took, uh, they went to all these different um, crosswalk intersections and they just studied hundreds of cars and plotted it on a chart and what car it was. And so somebody would go, here's the crosswalk, and they would go kind of into the crosswalk a little bit as cars are coming. Cars are supposed to, in California, you're supposed to stop if somebody's in the crosswalk. And they just noted who stopped and who didn't. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of cars, the more expensive the car, the less likely they were to stop. And the, the cheaper the car, the more likely they were to stop. Uh, you know, one of the, the videos they showed was a Prius, and I drive a Prius. Uh, it's a 2007 used Prius I got a few years ago, but I get a lot of abuse for my Prius because of other Prius owners, especially from Brian, uh, wherever he is. He gives me a hard time. Hates, oh, there he is, yeah. He gives me a hard time for being a, driving a Prius. Cause, why? Because we Prius owners are, are jerks, I guess. Uh, I try to not be, but um, I, I, I did something to Sandy Rutherford in my car the other day, so she's laughing at me. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later if you want. But anyway, the point is that we all, none of us want to be rich, but the fact is we all are. And so we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with our heart. We're busy, wealthy people, all of us. And so we're going to look at one more passage here today in James 4. Who, who, who here would say they're busy? Okay, so this verse is for you, James 4, 13. It says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, if you're like me, you read this and you kind of go, what's the big deal? Right? I mean, is that just me? Is that wrong to make a plan? Is it wrong to say, oh, this is my plan. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. What is James saying? He's saying exactly what Dan said to Bell 
which is you've not honored God who holds all of your future in his hands. You've not honored God. God, you're not, where is God in your thinking? James is going, it's not wrong to make a plan, but it's arrogant to think that you have control when you don't. Just like all these three guys that we looked at. You think you have control, but you don't. So the, the, the issue is really just honoring God. If it's the Lord's will, I'm going to do this or that. I, I want to do what God wants me to do. Like surrendering, making that decision every day. I'm going to surrender to God's will. He's got the future in his hands. He has control over my life. And he is the ruler of all things. So whatever good stuff I have is stuff that he's given me, and I need to use it for him. You know, uh, Dave referenced the fact that you, you give up everything to enter the kingdom. Jesus said that in many places, in many ways, as in that story that he told in Luke 14, two, two chapters uh, past uh, what we were, or before what we were reading a minute ago, he says in Luke 14, 33, unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a follower. You cannot be a Christian unless you give up everything. Now, I don't think he means we all need to sell everything and go live on the, on the street and preach the word. Although, if you want to do that, amen. But it means that you make a decision, everything I have is God's. I give it all away. I give it lordship over to him. That's what he's talking about here in James. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Meaning, so if God is in control of all things and you are his steward, you know, you, you are the steward of your talents that he has given you, your money that he has given you, your time that he has given you, and he has something good he wants you to do and you don't do it, that's not right. That's irresponsible. If you, if you think of yourself as a business owner, uh, you know, Think of yourself as, as you own a business and you have your employees and there's certain things and you've given them their job and you've given them the stuff and it's all yours and you say, this is what I want done and they don't do it. How are you feeling? You didn't do what I asked you to do. It's, it's my stuff. Why aren't you doing it? You know, we can understand if it's that way, but what about if it's God? And he has good things that he wants us to do. He has, he has, uh, he has a, a plan for our lives. He has a plan for his kingdom. What good is it that God wants you to do? I mean, think about in your life. Is there any good that he wants you to do that you're not doing? Maybe it's just getting to know the Bible better. Maybe that's the starting point. Maybe you're here, you're visiting with us, you don't know much about Christianity, you don't know much about the Bible. I would say start with that. Get to know the scriptures. It's amazing how many people even love God and grow up going to church, but they've never really read the Bible. I would say that's a good that you ought to do is get to know the Bible. And we, we love to read the Bible with people in this fellowship. We love to, we'd love to sit down with you in a home or at Starbucks or wherever and just open the Bible and read it together. So talk to somebody else here in the fellowship if you'd like to get to know the Bible better. It really helps to kind of have a guide. But if not, read it on your own. Start reading these passages we looked at today, but get to know the Bible better. Maybe there's relationships that need repairing, that you know the good you ought to do. You know you ought to step into this relationship. You know you ought to confront that brother or sister, or you know you ought to apologize to that brother or sister, or you know there needs to be reconciliation, or there needs to be forgiveness. Evangelism is huge. You know, you know there's people at your office, or at your school, or in your neighborhood who you should reach out to. You should invite to church. You should try to have into your home. Are you doing the good you know you ought to do? Serving the poor, bettering the community. I know I, I was convicted 
reading all of this and thinking about it, I just need to do so much more for the poor. I have not done nearly enough in 2015 for the poor. And I really want to do more. I've got to make a plan. I, I know the good I have to do. I don't want to be guilty of sin because I'm, I'm failing to do it. I, I need to do more for the community. And the amazing thing is that, you know, the, what the guy talked about in this TED Talk as far as, you know, the way that wealth can, can, can mess with us, can mess with our heart, there's a real easy solution that he's going to uh, describe here, and then we'll, we'll close out. In fact, we've been finding in our own laboratory research that small, small psychological interventions, small changes to people's values, small nudges in certain directions can restore levels of egalitarianism and empathy. For instance, reminding people of the benefits of cooperation or the advantages of community cause wealthier individuals to be just as egalitarian as poor people. In one study, we had people watch a brief video, just 46 seconds long, about childhood poverty that served as a reminder of the needs of others in the world around them. And after watching that, we looked at how willing people were to offer up their own time to a stranger presented to them in the lab who was in distress. After watching this video, an hour later, rich people became just as generous of their own time to help out this other person, a stranger, as someone who's poor, suggesting that these differences are not innate or categorical, but are so malleable to slight changes in people's values and little nudges of compassion and bumps of empathy. The three words he put on the screen, cooperation, compassion, community, isn't that the church? I mean, that's who we are. That's why we're together. That's why we need each other. We help each other get back on track in our thinking. We help sensitize each other to the needs of the world and the needs of our community and what God wants us to do. That's so, so much why we need this fellowship. That's why we need each other. And that gives me hope. You know, again, Jesus is not wanting me to, to, to be down on myself. He's not wanting to, to, to make me feel like a loser. I'm not saying this to make, you're rich, you're a jerk, you're no good. It's It's... You can be freed up from what the whole world is chasing and you have the capacity to be just as happy, just as fulfilled, just as uh, productive, just as flourishing as the most wealthy person in the world. In fact, more capacity for that because you have the ability to focus on what really matters. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that encouraging that we don't have to have what everybody around us and what society, what the media is telling us we have to have to be happy. We have everything we need right here. Uh, in God's kingdom and with each other and with a relationship with him. We have everything that we need. And so I want to be like Dan and be able to, Daniel, and be able to tell the world, you know what, you keep your gifts for yourself. You know, I've, I've got everything I need in a relationship with God and in his kingdom. Uh, we're going to, uh, I want to give you what the upcoming series uh, is going to entail here as we move forward. So next Sunday is going to be Generous Heart. That will be uh, Steve Marici speaking to us on that topic, and that is uh, uh, International Day of Giving. So all of our family churches is all going to be focused on this idea of being generous uh, next week. Then the, the following week, November 15th, uh, DK from the campus ministry in Long Beach is going to come and preach for us. And he, his title of his lesson is Removing the Idols. So those other things that can get in the way of giving God our best, 
he's going to talk about. And then uh, November 22nd, right back in this room, we'll, we'll have a regional service where people come from all over the, the coastal LA area. Long Beach will be here, Westside will be here in our Latin ministries. And we get to hear from Robert Carrillo. He's the CEO of Hope Worldwide now in San Diego. He's going to be preaching on the topic, What Matters to God. And then we'll close out the series Thanksgiving weekend with Mark uh, and the topic, The Generous Prosper. So I hope you're looking forward to this series. I hope that, uh, you know, I want to have those nudges that he talked about. I want to have that stuff work on my heart to get where it needs to be. Uh, We're going to close out the lesson with a song. This is a blues kind of fun song that is kind of takes all these stories and puts them into one song. I kind of wrote this song a while back and uh, never used it for anything. So I thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. So you guys might sing along on the chorus here a little bit. It's called, He's Got the Future in His Hands. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.